This is the Marketing Podcast Network. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Stories influence, teach, and inspire us. But what about the storytellers who create them? Uncorking a Story profiles storytellers to uncover how their background and life experiences influence the stories they create. We learn what motivates them, their path to success, and what fuels them to keep creating. It all starts by asking one simple question. Where does your story begin? Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Now here's your host, Mike Carlin. Hello and welcome to Uncorking Story, now part of the Marketing Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm excited to introduce you to Dr. Richard Gallagher. A board-certified psychiatrist and highly experienced clinician and teacher, Dr. Gallagher is a professor of psychiatry at New York Medical College and a psychoanalyst on the faculty of Columbia University. In addition, he's the longest standing member of the International Association of Exorcists since the early 1990s, serving for a time as a scientific advisor on its governing board. He's devoted many years to distinguishing the rare cases of overt demonic attacks from the much more common conditions of medical and psychiatric disorders. He joins me today to talk about his career and his book, Demonic Foes, My 25 Years as a Psychiatrist Investigating Possessions, Diabolic Attacks, and the Paranormal. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Dr. Gallagher. Well, thank you, Mr. Carlin, for the invitation. Oh, now I'm going to look for my father when you say Mr. Carlin, but I do appreciate that, and I'm excited to have you here. Um, I do have one question that that begins each of my conversations, which is, uh, Dr. Gallagher, where does your story as an author begin? Well, given given the subject matter, um, I... Um, was at a conference where we talked about ideas for a book. And uh, there were quite a few book agents at that conference. And uh, I was um, maybe even a little surprised that there was a tremendous interest in um, having a book on this subject. So uh, 
after that, uh, I did pick an agent and um, it was off to the races. Uh, the story, you might say, began 25 years ago in the sense of how I got involved in the field as a whole. Uh, I had written a few articles about my earlier experience. Uh, uh, so, um, but I, 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 I always tell people, uh, I never volunteered to get involved in this field. I was asked to help out. Uh, I was later asked to join the International Association, which is actually a, a great group of people. Obviously, um, the, the organization is called the uh, International Association of Exorcists. I am not an exorcist, as I have to sometimes clarify with people. Uh, on the other hand, I have served as um, uh, a lay member and a scientific uh, member of the group, a wonderful group. And uh, some of the exorcists themselves asked that I write some articles, asked that I write a book. Uh, eventually, believe it or not, the book um, attracted the attention of Hollywood and they're going to make a movie out of it. So I'd like to think that some of this was sort of or all of it really was providential in the sense that uh, I was uh, asked to do these things. And uh, getting back to your question, to my surprise, found that when I um, started talking about this book at a at a conference, uh, there was there was a tremendous interest among uh, uh, some top book agents, uh, of which uh, one of them I decided to work with. Well, I want to go back to um, 25 years ago. So you mentioned, you know, you didn't really seek out this work. Um, you were kind of invited to um, participate in it. Walk me back, you know, you know, a quarter century ago when you were first starting to get involved. You know, what was that like? What was, you know, what, what basically what happened? Well, uh, also to give a little bit about my academic background. So, uh, yeah, I, I had been somewhat interested as a, as a student of history at Princeton in this kind of a, a subject. I was quite struck in studying classics and ancient civilizations, how pervasive was the belief in, in, in spirits, including evil spirits. Uh, when I was doing my um, psychiatric residency at Yale, this topic never came up, um, but I saw a lot of very unusual stuff. Um, what I didn't expect to see is uh, the type of case that after I had finished my, my residency and was in attending at Cornell, um, a priest came to my office and I think he knew that I was Catholic um, and asked me respectfully if I would consider evaluating a case that he wanted to refer to me uh, he wound up referring many, many cases, but I remember what I originally said to him was, well, Father, with all due respect, um, and I was aware of a certain, we might call it cultural hysteria about Satanists and stuff like that. Uh, we called it the Satanic Panic. Uh, that's an exaggerated uh, view of Satanism that has not gone away. It still exists. I won't get into the political controversies about that. But uh, he claimed that he had a case that he thought was a woman suffering from a demonic attack. And I said, 
with all due respect, Father, I, I have to say I'm a little skeptical of that sort of thing. And uh, as I recount, as I recount in the book, I, I remember very well what he said to me was, uh, well, then you're the perfect man for the job. And I was a little surprised that he he really did want, as a Catholic priest and an exorcist, there weren't that many exorcists at the time in America, at least Catholic ones. So uh, I was a little surprised that he he really he truly welcomed the fact that I had uh, a skepticism about this, uh, which I do go into in almost every case. I, I go into with a little bit of uh, caution and and skepticism. Uh, but it turned out that uh, the case he did refer to me that I evaluated for him, uh, I eventually did agree with him that there was something demonic. It was not what we call a possession. It was what we call an oppression. Um, but subsequently, um, and over the years, I, I wound up seeing far more cases of possession than I than I possibly would have imagined. When, you know, but before he came to you um, with this request, which, which I imagine, I'm sure had you raise your eyebrow, where, how would you characterize what, what the state of your faith was? I know you mentioned sort of being Catholic, but were you a practicing Catholic? Um, you know, were, you know, were, were you more casual in your faith? Where, where was your faith at that point in time? Well, I was a practicing Catholic. Now, that doesn't mean that as a young person, like a lot of other um, inquisitive young people, I certainly questioned my faith for a while. Uh, I was brought up a Catholic, and I, and of course, I heard the stories about possession in the Gospels and stuff. I had wondered if some of those cases might be a misascription of illness or something like that. I certainly didn't think I was going to run into something like that, but I, I do think the priest knew that I was a practicing Catholic by that point in my life. Uh, again, I was in my late twenties by that point, and um, that's why he sought me out. Uh, I did not necessarily think I would ever come across one of these cases. I certainly do not in the normal course of my work as a board certified psychiatrist, nor did I in my years at Yale. So um, I was a little surprised about hearing a case kind of literally, literally come to my door. Um, I would say that over the years, my immersion in this field, such as it was, and at the same time, you know, I had a family, I, um, was a was a pretty standard clinical psychiatrist as well as an academic psychiatrist publishing stuff on uh, memory and abuse and that sort of thing. Um, but I'd like to think it was somewhat providential that somehow this happened to me. And I would say the net result of that over the years has, has definitely, uh, I would like to say, by the grace of God, has deepened my faith. No question about it. Um, you know, it, it does sound like you are the perfect person for, for this kind of role, because you, you come at it from a, the scientific perspective. I mean, you are uh, a board certified psychiatrist. Um, so you, you come at it with sort of that, Hey, you know, could this be a mental disorder type skepticism, but also you know, the fact that you are Catholic and, and a practicing Catholic, 
um, leaves you, I think, open to the possibility that something, you know, more sinister could be at play in a case like this. What what were some of the telltale signs that you weren't dealing with, you know, a, um, you know, some kind of dissociative mental disorder? If I don't even know if I'm using those terms correctly, but, um, you know, what what you know what what sort of, um, you know, really encourage you to say, you know, what this really isn't something that is explained by a medical condition. Well, as you can as you can imagine, you have to take every case individually, and you have to really take what I like to say the totality of the case. Uh, you really need some very strong evidence, and and by the way, and I'm not just talking about the Catholic Church. I I think most sensible uh, Protestant. Uh, practitioners in this area, as well as uh, uh, those of the Orthodox uh, tradition, as, as well as people in other religions who can come across this stuff too. Um, most of us who I would respect at least, have to see some very definite signs of, let's say, um, some kind of foreign entity being involved uh, I have an advantage as a psychiatrist, of course, of of seeing, and you're absolutely right, there's, there's things like dissociative identity disorder, which we used to call multiple personality. There are psychotic patients. There, there are some people suffering from what we might call severe personality disorders. Now, all of these people, as well as just highly imaginative people who uh, kind of are looking for some bogus explanation for their problems, they somehow come to think that they are being beset by evil spirits. Uh, psychotic, schizophrenic patients often believe exactly that. So I was in a, a position of at least being able to rule out that as a possibility in those people that I assessed. But on a more um, positive evidence, um, you're not just ruling out things, you're also saying this pattern, um, which in some ways is why I wrote the book, this pattern has to exhibit a totality that is only really explicable by something, what we call preternatural, something beyond normality, something that, that clearly goes beyond simply some kind of materialism or, or, or mental illness, such as a demon speaking through somebody as part of a total package where there's also maybe evidence of something uh, the secular world would use the term paranormal, meaning something beyond materialism. Uh, we in the we in the the Christian tradition would say it's preternatural beyond nature. So you need this idea that somehow there is some kind of evidence of a foreign spirit uh, demonstrated in part by paranormal um, activity of some sort, um, to use the secular term and uh, often associated with different things that are otherwise inexplicable and finally cemented, you might say, as a diagnosis by the history. For instance, possession doesn't happen to just anybody. 
normally there has to be some um, invitation. I mean, people sometimes put it, the person has opened the door. I'll call them the victims. The victim has opened the door. The victim has invited the spirit in in some way, perhaps unwittingly. And what I'm trying to say is that it's the totality of that history, some kind of some kind of strong impression that a foreign entity is taking control, some kind of exhibition of their paranormal abilities uh, beyond what a, a normal human being could do, some kind of history that makes sense of why this is happening to this person. It's the total picture that gives at least the Catholic Church requirement that there has to be a kind of moral certainty. So it's it's a rigorous diagnosis. Um, it's not just ruling out things, it's seeing this very clear evidence, which obviously there are a lot of people who are skeptical about that, but uh, I tried in my own mind, as well as in my book, to present cases that are so clear that it, the conclusion becomes almost inescapable to a rational person. As I say, um, using some extreme examples, mentally ill people or even highly imaginative people don't all of a sudden levitate. They don't all of a sudden speak perfect Latin. Uh, so even to the casual observer, you know that you're dealing with something beyond simply um, naturalistic uh, problem or, or phenomena. And I have to imagine no matter how strong, you know, your faith is kind of going through this, let's call this, you know, with your first victim. Um, and there's got to be some some fear there. And I'd be curious to know, like, what kept you coming back? What, what was your motivation to, to keep kind of coming back to this work? Well, I think mostly because I was asked to do it. In other words, uh, the, the priest and, and eventually quite a few priests, including to this day, have had confidence that I'll have an open mind about this issue. And these are, uh, don't kid yourself, these are very suffering individuals. Uh, this is not it's not work for the faint-hearted, but but it's nothing compared to what these victims undergo. They're in tremendous pain. Obviously, uh, I became a doctor to deal with people in distress, and I wasn't going to just close my eyes just because this is a controversial diagnosis. I, I was trying to help these people for the same reason that I became a doctor in the first place, to relieve suffering. And, and again, I'll emphasize that it's not like I really volunteered to do this work. I'm not sure it is a good idea to volunteer, but that's a whole nother question. Uh, people came out of the blue, or you wanna say God's providence uh, to ask me for my help. And I, I really was not gonna turn them down. That, yeah. that, that's the gist of what my motivation was. I think about it, you know, from an outsider's perspective, um, and I, you know, I, I, I wonder how much um, backlash you've received, you know, from, and I guess I'd be, I'd be sort of nervous on two fronts, right? So what are my peers going to think of me getting involved in this work and then publicly talking about this? Um, and then, hey, am I, am I opening myself up to danger 
from these, you know, demonic forces that I am sort of, you know, you're not, I know you're not the exorcist, but you're, you're participating in the work. So I'm curious as to, you know, if, 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 um, you know, you're opening yourself up to, to danger or vulnerability there. So like both, you know, personally and professionally, was there backlash? People are a little surprised when I say not really. Now that doesn't mean that, that, some people don't disagree with me, but um, I often say to people, if they sort of say, well, Dr. Gallagher, this is kind of out of the mainstream. I, I say to them, what mainstream are you talking about? Are you talking about people throughout history? The, the majority of people in history have always believed in evil spirits. Are you talking about the world today? You know, my, my book was published in Japanese. It was published in, in, in Spanish. It was published in, in Polish. People all over the world, I'm, and I'm not the only psychiatrist who, who, who does this sort of thing. So you could say that people all over the world, a lot of people believe in this stuff. Even in America, surveys show that the majority of Americans, however religious belief is sometimes declining, still believe in evil spirits. So I, I say to people, what, when, when challenged, I say, what mainstream are you talking about? I'm in the mainstream. Maybe you're not in the mainstream. Now they say, well, I mean, as a psychiatrist, yes, it's true that uh, psychiatrists who see people with mental illness and, and who claim to be hearing voices of the devil when it's some kind of brain problem, uh, yes, they're, gonna, they're understandably, I understand, because I deal with those patients myself. I understand that they're going to be skeptical, uh, but look, my job is to help people. My job is to tell the truth about my experience. I, I don't go around worrying too much about what other people think, uh, including colleagues. I mean, I'm a, I'm a well-respected psychiatrist. If, if you don't like my beliefs, you know, in a way that's your problem. In, in terms of the second part of your question, yeah, there have been some experiences I've had that are a little creepy. I, I can't say that I, I don't regard myself as a phlegmatic person, but I, I, I'm a reasonably collected person. And I do feel, and again, this is the grace of God, I do feel that I'm a little protected not only because of my own practice of religion, but I, I, I often ask people to pray for me. In fact, I'm gonna be shamefaced in asking your audience to pray for me. I always ask people to pray for me because I think that like the success of exorcisms, it often depends just as much as the prayer of other people. So I know I have a lot of people uh, who pray for me. I try to practice my, my religion faithfully. And yes, I think people uh, under those conditions, uh, I wouldn't do it otherwise, under those conditions, I think I'm a, a little bit reasonably confident to answer your question that uh, I, I, I don't, I'm not cavalier about it, but I do think I have some protection. I, um, you know, I'm wondering, you know, over the, the past 25 years that you've been involved in this work, um, have you seen cases on the increase? And and if so, why why do you suppose that might be? It's a very good question. And like a lot of good questions, it does not have a simple answer. There are people who certainly believe that. 
Now, what I definitely do believe, and this goes back to the Exorcist movie and all that, that there's a lot more public awareness of these possibilities. So that you got you get a lot of people who kind of come out of the woodwork and they'll be asked to be evaluated by myself or by say clergy of their own faiths uh, who think they might be possessed. Now they may or may not be or demonically attacked in some other way. Uh, there's another view that because of the decline of mainstream religion, uh, I would say because of the decline of more orthodox, small O tradition, traditional religion, there may be more people who are sort of playing around, at least in the Western world, with occultism or alternate spiritualities that are a little dicier than they think. So there may be more cases. There is certainly more public awareness of this possibility. So you're going to get a report of more people. But again, you have to take a more global perspective. I mean, if you went to Haiti 50 years ago and talked to voodoo practitioners, or if you sort of went to Madagascar or uh, the Far East, I mean, there have always been the kind of cases I'm talking about. So in the Western world, there's much more awareness of it. I know a, a very fine uh, professor of uh, theology, and he comes out of um, missionary work in Africa. And he says to me, uh, you know, he's not a young man at this point. He says to me, we were always aware of this. And he, he the way he puts it is kind of interesting. He says, I think Africa uh, has something to, teach the Western world that the Western world has been too skeptical about. So uh, again, it, a lot depends on what perspective you're using. Could there be more cases? Yes, it's very possible for the reasons I gave. Is there more, are there more people who only think they're demonically attacked but are not? That's certainly the case. I went through as a psychiatrist what I called the satanic panic and there were plenty of people who were seeing Satanists everywhere. You'll, you'll see with some of the QAnon people today, it, it, it's, that idea has never quite died out. There are still people who see Satanists all over the place. That's where uh, people like C.S. Lewis need to be listened to because they say, on the one hand, it's probably a foolish to not believe in evil spirits, but it's also foolish to get over preoccupied and to think they're all over the place or causing all kinds of problems that uh, simple human fallibility and 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 human sinfulness is capable of uh, effectuating on its own. Yeah, I know you mentioned satanic panic. I mean, I'm I'm a child of the '80s, grew up listening to, uh, and I'll admit, uh, still do from time to time. You know, heavy metal music, and and we were always taught. Uh, I remember going to uh, the youth group at my church and, you know, they would tell us, Hey, don't, don't listen to that because you know, it's, it's devil music. And like we, I was grow, I grew up to believe that, you know, Satanists would be more of a problem than they actually were in my day-to-day -day life. You know, it's like, we, we had this like panic around us. I, I feel the same way about killer bees, by the way, like it's, and quicksand. I thought these things would be bigger issues, but um, not, not to laugh about it. Um, but you know, I'm I'm curious. Um, I'm curious about a lot of things. Um, but but since I have an expert here, I have I have a sounding board for it for some crazy questions. But um, 
when um when 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 you mentioned the exorcist before kind of you know a movie like that and, and the success of it the popularity of it kind of bringing more consciousness to you know demonic possession um yeah, there's been a lot of sort of subsequent movies, things in pop culture, you know, whether it's the exorcism of Emily Rose, the follow-up movies to the exorcist, um, the right, I think was with Anthony Hopkins about 10 years ago or so. What is, you know, what is Hollywood when it comes to um, demonic possession and, and what is real is, and, and, or, or, or is Hollywood close? Well, Hollywood sometimes gets it partially right. Uh, they rarely get it totally right. Uh, and they often get it spectacularly wrong. The The Exorcist movie itself, which was um, uh, won the best screenplay in the Academy Award, it was, it was a well done movie, uh, especially for its time. Um, the the um, writer and, and and, and novelist, because he, he did write a fictional version um, of the, the, the book, The Exorcist, as well. He based it on a real case. Uh, there's always debate about these things. You're never going to get unanimity of opinion. Somebody's going to try to call pot shots. But I, I, I've spoken to people involved with the movie and advisors and stuff. I, I do believe it was uh, legitimately based on a real case, but then exaggerated somewhat. Uh, he took also elements from other cases. Um, Emily Rose, the um, story about her was also based on a German woman who absolutely, um, her name was Annalise Mikkel, and that was actually very true to life. Um, so there have been many of these spin-offs. Some of them are just ludicrous. Um, I like I like Denzel Washington a lot as an actor, but you know he has some movie I forget the name of it where people just touch each other and you know the possession the evil spirit goes from one person to another. Um, I don't think it was a terrible movie, but it was it was certainly uh, kind of ludicrous. So Hollywood sometimes sensationalizes and gets it wrong. The way they the way they most get it wrong, I would say, is they treat the exorcist like a magician. They treat the exorcist like a witch doctor in, in a sense, which of course a witch doctor is, is completely the opposite. Um, that if, if the exorcist just says the right mumbo jumbo prayers, I had a Satanist woman who once said to me, uh, oh, uh, when is the priest gonna say the mumbo jumbo prayers? Uh, the perception sometimes from people who go to Hollywood movies is that there's going to be a magic answer. It doesn't quite work that way. Now, I'm, I'm far from denying that the exorcist ritual and ceremony is very, very important and it's valuable. Um, first of all, it's not the exorcist who delivers the person. We believe it's, it's God. You know, Christians would say our Lord who delivers the person. But I think the point that Hollywood misses, maybe wants to miss, is that the victim has to work at it themselves. Um, one of the stories I tell in 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 the in in my book, Demonic Foes, which is actually going to be made into a movie, a Hollywood movie, strangely enough, so wonders never cease, um, is of a woman who was a Satanist, 
And she was the real deal. She was one of these unusual real deals. Now, she went through some exorcisms, but she never was delivered. And why was she never delivered? Well, because she wanted to have her cake and eat it too. She, she, she wanted to be delivered from a possession. She was a thoughtful woman. She knew she was possessed. On the other hand, she refused to leave her satanic cult and in a way refused to renounce her uh, nefarious ways, including worshiping Satan and feeling like Satan had given her favors. So you can't have it both ways. So you, you have to you have to renounce anything bad in your past and you have to turn to God yourself for help while also undergoing the exorcism to expect that you're gonna get a good result. I don't, I don't think Hollywood uh, presents that too well. Yeah, just a few thoughts that came to me because you were mentioning, you know, when you were talking about, you know, what what do cases have in common? And there's certain criteria that, you know, you, you've got to look at and evaluate almost on a gestalt basis to, to say, hey, this is likely possession or this is likely not possession. Um, one of them being um, the victim inviting something in. Um and I would imagine if they're inviting something in, they also have to have a role in pushing them out. Yes, that's a good way of putting it. And 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 uh, the term gestalt is a, is a good synonym for what I was talking about. Looking the looking at the totality of the case, and looking at the totality of the case involves precisely what you were saying. Where was the invitation, which which may not be always so. Fausty and explicit, but which in some ways does occur for at least a possession to happen. Now, that doesn't mean that decent people, and, and I used the word oppression earlier. It's, a, it's again, people differ in the terminology here, but um, people can have some lesser types of demonic interference in their life without necessarily being possessed and without necessarily having the same causative picture. Um, there have been very holy people, probably in all religions, but certainly uh, many, many prominent Catholic saints who have been attacked in some way by evil spirits. Whether you call that oppression or some people call it attacks on the holy, I don't want to get too much into terminological issues which differ from culture to culture, but there's no question that even even very decent people, let alone holy people, can be attacked by spirits in a way too, but not not generally, not 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 normally possessed. Of course, uh, the first case that I saw that that priest had um, referred to me, she had bruises all over her body, and she claimed that she was beaten up by evil spirits, um, and after doing lab tests and making sure that her husband wasn't beating the crap out of her or something. We we came to the conclusion that I came to the conclusion, uh, the priest had already believed that, that in fact, she was beaten up by spirits, but she was not someone who was some kind of nefarious person. Um, she was, in my opinion, a good person who was attacked. Now, she also felt, in fact, she was a very good person. Uh, she felt that 
the demonic world attacked her precisely because of her goodness. Although she, her, her own view, which sounds strange to Americans, but is also believed by probably most people in the world, certainly by many Americans, although they don't necessarily talk about it, is that she believed she was cursed. And, and that may well have been a credible explanation of why it happened to her. Yeah, yeah, versus playing with a Ouija board or participating in a seance or something like that, like somebody did this to her. Right. And again, there can be exaggerations about Ouija boards. I'm sure there are people who just kind of do it on a lark or it's like you can't you can't you can't exaggerate the harm of everybody reading Harry Potter and stuff like that. And you, you'll hear people make those kind of criticisms. But what constitutes the danger of something like a, a Ouija board is that, yes, you are trying to summon an answer from a spirit. Now, you may not, you may not understand that. Uh, you may not even believe in evil spirits. You may think I'm summoning dead souls or something. But it's a little bit like, like, the, like the mafia. You know, you start to ask for some kind of assistance or favor from the mafia, they own you and they don't want to let you go. And it's exactly similar to the demonic world. If they're, if you're fooling around with them and asking them for information or favors or whatever, I mean, the, the Satanist I talked about who had this dramatic possession um, that I highlight in the book, I mean, she felt she got a tremendous amount out of Satan, uh, psychic abilities and all that. It really was a very remarkable story. But even on a more minor level, when people are consulting spirits, which they often think are dead souls or something, um, and they get answers that they are interested in, they're pulling themselves unwittingly into a world that you might say wants to capture their loyalty and then doesn't want to let go. So that's the, that's, that's the real danger. Yeah. Um, you know, you were talking about this being made into uh, a motion picture. Um, what is your role in that? Are you, are you going to be actively, um, you know, helping with the screenplay? Are you, do you have a production um, producer credit? What's, uh, what's your involvement with the film? I was approached by uh, a pretty famous uh, Hollywood producer uh, who m m many in your audience may know, Jason Blum. And Jason Blum, who's made a lot of very good movies and, and sort of especially horror movies, uh, he said to me, uh, Dr. Gallagher, this is the hottest intellectual property I've ever seen. I mean, he was very interested in turning, especially the story of the Satanist into a movie. Uh, so uh, obviously I have a lot of input. I am executive producer, um, but I really didn't go into this uh, to exploit anybody. In fact, in fact, this woman actually gave me permission to do this uh, many years ago. Um, so uh, Jason had asked me if I was willing to be portrayed as myself. I was originally reluctant. I really didn't want the publicity either. Um, but 
um, he and his colleagues kind of convinced me that it would be more credible if 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 there is a character in the movie based on myself. Um, I don't know who that's going to be, but uh, I hope it's some uh, reasonable character. And uh, so, yes, I, I've been involved uh, in in the movie. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll say it probably be out in, out in a year or two. I, I detect a, a Brad Pitt type uh, actor for uh, for your part, Dr. Gallagher. You're very kind. Remember, <laughs> remember, I'm on video here, so the audience <laughs> can certainly evaluate that claim for themselves. <laughs> Um, and what's your hope? I mean, people who pick up the book and read the book, um, what is your hope for them? What, what, what is your goal in having people read the books? I, I, you know, I've read, um, a lot of reviews of it. You've got a lot of positive review, reviews out there and it is very well reviewed. Um, what is your hope, um, that people will walk away with? Well, I originally conceived the book as, um, as 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 being uh, written uh, at the prompting of of some people in this field themselves, including some of the exorcists who wanted to understand some of my experiences as a psychiatrist, um, I certainly was not averse to the idea, even though I think these conditions are rare, that people who might think they have the problem would also benefit from reading the book, but. My overall aim eventually was also to write it for the educated reader, uh, somebody who just is interested in this sort of thing. It's a confusing topic to most people. And I tried to bring a certain sanity, a certain um, you know, balanced perspective to the whole um, subject. Um, I'll tell you what, it, what to me is an interesting story about uh, a friend of mine. I didn't necessarily, Mike, tell everybody in my life about what I was doing or that I was involved in this field, although I was never shy about talking about it if anybody asked me. So I actually had a very good friend. He happens to be uh, uh, a Jewish background. He happens to be a, a, a fine physician out West. And after the book came out, he said to me, Rich, I cannot believe that you never told me about this whole side of yourself, this whole book. And I said, well, um, um, his name is Cliff. I said, well, Cliff, um, yeah, I don't, I just don't go around talking to, to everybody about it, even, even people, good friends of mine like you. And he said, well, I, I, I'm glad to read it. And I, I said, well, what is your impression of the book? And he, he gave the reaction, which is, again, to go back to your question, is kind of another paramount reason I wrote the book. He's a very thoughtful guy, Jewish background. I, I think he has a vague belief in God, but you know, he certainly wasn't very observant as, as a Jew. And he said to me, my impression, Rich, is that an objective reader, he was talking about someone like himself, no ax to grind, an objective, thoughtful reader cannot read the book without coming out with the conclusion that Dr. Gallagher has written a book that makes a very strong case for belief in evil spirits. And again, to get back to your question, in a way, that was the aim of my writing the book. 
there's always going to be people who dismiss this stuff, who get overly scared by this stuff, who think this stuff is nonsense. I understand that. But if you have someone who wants to understand this field and someone who has an open mind, I, I, I think it can be very enlightening for your educator reader. I don't, I don't dumb down the book. You know, what I, what I liked about what HarperCollins allowed me to do is write the book I wanted to write. So it has a lot of intriguing stories, some of which are described as enthralling. Certainly the story about the Satanist I talk about is, is amazing, almost to the point of phantasmagorical. But I, I didn't write it for sensationalist reasons or just to make a buck. I wrote it so that the educated reader would have the inside perspective of what this, what this, what these realities are really like. Not only the existence of evil spirits, but the kind of help that certainly some of the churches and and other groups uh, can offer. Yeah, uh, Dr. Gallagher, I assume the book is available wherever books are sold. Is that right? Yeah, like like most other authors, uh, um, a lot of people buy it on Amazon. It's it's very easily available. It's also available on the HarperCollins site. It is in a lot of bookstores. I, I don't I don't actually know myself how many, but uh, people people certainly can get it without too much problem online. That's that's for sure. And um, are you active on social media? Do you have any social media handles you want to 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 share with the audience in case they want to follow you or or learn more? Well, uh, I think the book speaks for itself. Okay. I, I do a lot of social media, in part, my quite frankly, because. I already have to, yeah, I'm a busy guy. There's, there's, I'm told there's only 24 hours in a day. And uh, I understand that I can't help other people who want me to consult for them. Uh, it's a little hard to get a hold of me. People who really try can succeed, but I don't, I don't like to just put myself out on social media because I think, again, as a, as a, as a, um, American physician, board certified psychiatrist. Uh, I don't know if it's appropriate for me to just put my name out there and, and think that every, to everybody that I can respond or something. Fair enough. And I just thought of one more question for you, just given, you know, geography sort of, you know, where you live. Um, have you, have you come across um, in, in this line of work, um, Ralph Sarchi at all? Is that name familiar uh, to you? I, I'm I'm familiar with him and his his movie. I think it was uh, "Deliverance from Evil." Was that the name of it? Yeah, I've read the I've I've read the book. Um, but... Yeah, he he seems like a, a pretty uh, you know he seems like a pretty credible guy. I think I, I'm not sure that he himself was too happy with what they did with his movie. We're trying with our movie, as I did with the book, by the way, Mike, to make it very very accurate i think they took liberties with with his 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 cases uh but you know he there's no question that he he as a police officer has seen cases there's another police officer out in uh, los angeles who's now an evangelist i think his name is jesse romero i think i i, I could be wrong and he had seen uh, a lot of cases of even even possessions and certainly demonic um, involvement in prisons and in criminals and uh, 
so again, there are all these people, both psychiatrists and uh, certainly exorcists themselves, as well as police officers who, who have written these credible accounts as well. Well, Dr. Gallery, you mentioned it before that there's only 24 hours in a day and we can't figure out how to squeeze more in. And you just shared one of your hours with me and my audience. And I want to thank you for letting me uncork your story and remind the audience of two things. Number one, um, Dr. Gallagher's book is Demonic Foes by 25 Years as a Psychiatrist Investigating Possessions, Diabolic Attacks, and the Paranormal. Uh, so you can pick that up on Amazon or uh, ask for it at your local independent bookstore, because if they don't have it, they can certainly get it for you. Uh, also, uh, Dr. Gallagher Dr. Gallagher did ask us uh, to pray for him, so let's keep that in mind as well. If, if you uh, listening out there are uh, part of the praying inclined, um, I'm sure Dr. Gallagher, uh, as he mentioned before, would appreciate you keeping him in your prayers. And um, I think that's it, Dr. Gallagher. Any, any, any parting thoughts for us? Well, real quick, uh, I definitely, as a physician, I would be irresponsible if I wasn't. Uh, I have a I have scientific training, of course, and I think what people have to realize is the evidence is historical. That doesn't make it anti-scientific. So I'm not someone. I believe in the Big Bang. I believe in evolution. Uh, I, I'm a mainstream doctor and scientist, but this stuff is also uh, uh, very grounded in reality. And there's nothing anti-scientific about anything I, I ever write about. All right. Well, Dr. Gallagher, thank you uh, for dropping by and letting me uncork your story. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you for a thoughtful interview. Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story.